This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading for this morning is found in Luke chapter 17, the first six verses, as Jesus continues his discussion with his disciples also called apostles later on in this passage. And uh, they continue to be amazed at some of the things he says to them as he's preparing them for their earthly ministry after he leaves. So the first six verses of Luke 17. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, You must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we stand once again just in awe of your greatness and your majesty, your power, your strength, your righteousness and holiness. On this Reformation Sunday, we give thanks for those faithful men of old who returned the church to a clearer and more appropriate doctrine, a doctrine of salvation by faith alone that we are dependent upon your goodness and your grace and your mercy for all that we are, and that we are, in fact, sinful people. But because of your grace, you have cleansed us, washed away our sins as far as the east is from the west. You've made us new creatures in Christ. You've given us the hope of eternal life. Do we deserve it? Of course not. Have we earned it? Absolutely not. But it is because of who you are that we are who we are by your grace and your mercy. So, Father, help us to celebrate your goodness and your kindness to us. And as we face the temptations of this life, for we are still fallen creatures, we are still beset by many temptations and things that would derail us and get us off the track, things that would draw our attention away from your perfect will for us and those things in this world that would become appealing to us. Father, simply give us grace and mercy and strength to overcome and to bring our sins before you knowing that your grace is sufficient and that our righteousness and holiness is not our own, but it is the one who gave his life for us. Lord, we thank you for our church. 
for all that you allow us to do as we roll up our sleeves to minister with one another and to one another and to a very needy world. We thank you for the outreaches of our church to children, to teens, to young adults, to families, to elderly people, all who are in various stages of their lives but are in need of a fresh reminder that uh, your grace is sufficient. And so thank you, Lord, for all of the ministries of our church and especially, Lord, for those faithful men and women who work so energetically by your spirit. We are so blessed. Lord, we lift up those who are in going through times of distress, discouragement, and uncertainty, those who are facing some uh, life changes and life decisions. They want to do your will, but they don't know which direction to move in. Father, give them wisdom and direction and, and guidance. For those who are struggling with their health, may your healing hand be strong and apparent. May you evidence your goodness and grace in the lives of these faithful men and women. Thank you, Lord, again for the absolute and total ultimate promise of eternal life. Meanwhile, Lord, we count it a privilege to serve you. Thank you for every day that you give us. May we be energized by your Holy Spirit to live as we should. Now, as Pastor Carr comes to share reflections and uh, um, his study and his thoughts on this passage before us, may your Holy Spirit anoint his lips. May that same Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and minds. May we be changed and influenced by what we hear today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Pleasure to be with you this morning and driving through the fog. I think all of us drove really, really slow, uh, but we're just a, a blessing to be together. Something surprising is something that took place following World War II. There was a remaining small group of four Japanese soldiers who lived in the Philippines who did not believe that the war had ended. These four kept on fighting using guerrilla activities to create disturbances all over the Philippines. Eventually, after leaflets were dropped over them announcing that Japan had surrendered, these four, taking those leaflets, read them but disregarded them. They saw them as simply allied propaganda. These four soldiers were involved in several shootouts with local police. And they even terrorized farms and other properties. Finally, on March of 1950, some five years had rolled by, one of the soldiers of his own accord walked up and surrendered to the Philippine forces, and yet there still remained three Japanese fighters who fought. By 1952, now seven years had passed, letters and pictures of the family were dropped from an aircraft, urging the remaining three Japanese soldiers to step aside, to, to surrender, to quit bearing arms. But again, these Japanese soldiers only concluded it was a trick. On May of 1954, now we're nine years after the war, one of the remaining three was shot and killed by a search party 
who were looking for the men who they now viewed as a real detriment to the Philippines. These soldiers were a security problem. With two remaining on October of 1972, I did say 1972, one of the last two soldiers was shot and killed by police. This all took place as they were seeking to continue the guerrilla warfare by burning rice that had been collected by farmers. 1972. Leaving now only one who still hunkered down and continued the battle. It was March 9th, 1974, and just so you know, that was my birthday. In a final attempt to bring an end to things, the former commanding officer of this soldier went to that very island. Upon finally finding him, he ordered him by imperial command to cease all combat. And so the last remaining Japanese soldier surrendered, turning himself in along with his sword, his functioning rifle, 500 rounds of ammunition, and several hand grenades, and his dagger that his mother had given him. 29 years after the war had originally ended, this soldier continued his fight. Why do I share that story in light of what was read? I think there's a great comparison. I think the comparison is this. We're doing the exact opposite of this soldier. See, this soldier was living in a time of peace, but he was acting as though it was a time of war. And we're living in a time of war spiritually, and we live as though it is a time of peace. This is exactly what Jesus is reminding his disciples Jesus has been preaching, Jesus has been teaching, he's been calling people to follow him, to, to, to repentance and trust in him alone. He looks in, now to his disciples, and this is what he says, temptations to sin are sure to come. Temptations to sin are sure to come. Friends, we need to face the fact that we are living in a time of war, not a time of peace. We need to face the fact that we are living in a post-fallen world, a post-Genesis 3 world. We are all born sinners, and we live in a fallen world full of sin. And hence, Jesus reminds his disciples of this. As he makes the statement, woe to the one through whom these temptations come. Temptation is a serious serious charge because if it's not resisted temptation becomes sin friends i remind you we are living in a time of war and our enemy is seeking whom he may devour listen to the words of peter in first peter chapter 5 verse 8 be sober-minded be watchful your adversary notice the language your enemy your adversary The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In this very text, Peter is calling the church to action. He's calling them first to be sober-minded, to be ready and real about the reality of their situation. And that's the problem oftentimes, is we're not ready nor real regarding the warfare that is happening all around us regarding temptation 
and sin. The prophet Jeremiah warned in Jeremiah chapter 8 that there would be those prophets who would come and say, peace, peace, when there was no peace. Today, everyone likes to hear a pleasant message. Everyone likes to talk about the positive things. But the truth is, Jesus' message is the message that still needs to be preached today. Temptation is real. We should not be surprised when we experience those temptations. Friends, temptations come in every way, and they're everywhere. Temptation to sin comes at home. When the family is together, temptation to sin occurs at work. And yes, we know temptation even comes at play. We will experience temptation when we're in groups. And we will experience temptation even when we are alone. The truth of the matter is there is no hiding from temptation. Temptation will find us because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour point is, temptation is the reality we all live in. Even Jesus faced temptation. Jesus lived in this fallen world. While he was perfect without sin and never gave in to the temptation, he understands what it is to be tempted. Hence, Jesus says, woe to the one through whom they come. Friends, Jesus was tempted in every way, and he understands our battle. Therefore, as a good shoulder, we must guard against temptation. For if temptation is not resisted, I state it again, it turns into sin. It's already been stated what sin is. Sin is any want of conformity or transgression of the law of God. The law of God is the foundation by which we understand what righteousness and holiness is, what God commands. Sin is the violation of the law of God. Sin is pushing God's law to the side. That's what it is to give into temptation. It's to disregard God's law. Jesus makes a couple of quick applications in our passage. The first, he says... You need to beware. He says that it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Notice the application of why we should beware, why we need to take temptation seriously, is because it would be better for a millstone. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying sin is serious. And there is a great punishment for sin. The millstone Jesus is referring to is that grinding wheel that the animals would would haul around to, to crush the wheat. This millstone was the idea of being hung around one's neck and thrown into the sea would surely drown a person. And Jesus, in his words, one who came to bring life, one who understands the beauty of life because he was there at creation, he is the creator. He's there saying it would be better for that person to drown than to cause someone else to sin. He defines who these ones who are being caused to sin are. He defines them as the little ones. He refers to there the younger or the newer follower of Christ. Like a little lamb who needs to be protected. 
serious business when we do not model holiness for others, when we do not model righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 defines for us the consequence when it says the wages of sin is death. Friends, God does not play around regarding sin. It's a personal attack on his character. It's a personal attack on his holiness. Therefore, he judges it. He judges it with death, not just physical death, but eternal death, eternal punishment for those who sin. And yet, for those of us in Christ, there's good news. We heard it this morning. We heard it in the assurance of pardon that in Christ we can experience freedom from the eternal punishment. And friends, that is a blessing. That is the joy of the gospel. That's the good news that we hope for, that we can truly trust in Christ and receive the blessing and not the curse. And yet I would still draw your attention to the fact that sin had to be paid for. The Christian emblem of the cross reminds us of that daily, pointing to the fact that the full weight of judgment for sin had to be met, and Jesus Christ is the one who met that. For sin cannot go unpunished. And so what are Jesus' words to this? Look at verse 3. Pay attention. Pay attention to yourselves. You're at war, he's saying. You're not at a time of peace. not a time to be comfortable. not a time to be lazy. We need to pay attention to ourselves. We need to be on guard against temptation. Well, temptation is not sin, but the giving in of temptation is to sin. It costs. Therefore, we should fend off temptation. We need to do this, first and foremost, by trusting God by trusting his word, what he says he means. And we need to believe it. After all, wasn't that the problem in the garden in the first place? Eve did not truly believe what God said. When Satan tempted her, she gave in, and she sinned by disregarding. The apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that that she was deceived. She believed the lie. Rather than trusting God's word, she believed in the word's that Satan said. See, the battle lies in trusting God's word. And therefore, we must use God's word to fight temptation just as Jesus did. In Luke chapter 4, we see Jesus being tempted in the desert. And in every response that Jesus gives, he uses words like, it is written, or God said. Constantly calling the devil back to the truth of God's word. The way we battle temptation is with the word. Psalm 119, verse 9, has already been said, but it says, how can a young man keep his way pure? The answer, by guarding it according to your word. The word of God plays the central role in battling temptation. But we also must react. Yes, we must believe, but we also must react. And how are we to react in places where we are tempted? We need to flee. We need to flee as Joseph did in Genesis chapter 39 when he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife. He didn't stay around. He didn't make excuses. He didn't try to reason with her. He fled. We must flee. 
And some will say, well, I don't have the power to do these things. The Apostle Paul addresses that question in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, when he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Do you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying? We have the ability to resist. We have the ability to resist when we take sin serious, when we take God's word as being true, and when we truly take the opportunity to flee. So church, I ask you this morning, do you see the seriousness of sin? Do you see the seriousness of sin? Are you paying attention to yourselves, where you're at and what your hobbies are and your conversations? The real question is, do we believe God's word when it speaks about what truth and holiness and righteousness are? Jesus then gives a second application. Now, this time, it's not about us sinning, but us being sinned against. In this application, he says, if your brother or fellow believer sins, you're to do something, you're to rebuke him. And if that fellow believer repents, you're to do something else. You're to forgive him. And Jesus even goes on to explain how this interaction How many times this interaction must and can occur? He says, if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. These are hard things. It's hard enough to battle temptation. It's hard enough to understand we need to flee. We need to trust God's word. We we need to do battle. But now we're told that we must forgive. We must confront Friends, if a brother sins, we're told we are given specific commands what to do when the first is to rebuke or to take sin seriously. Many scratch their heads as to how did we get to this place in this time and in this world. And I think it's because oftentimes we didn't take the truth of what God said about rebuking sin. See, to rebuke is the idea of calling others to repentance. And who are those others that we're calling to repentance? Those who profess faith in Christ. The truth of the matter is there's churches in crisis, churches that are abandoning the gospel, churches that are fleeing God's word, not believing it to be God's word at all. How did they get to that place? It didn't happen overnight. But little by little, sin was allowed to fester And eventually, the churches changed. See, we're called to rebuke. That idea of rebuking is to call to repentance. It's the idea of calling others to turn away from sin. It's the idea of calling others to turn back to Christ. Matthew chapter 18 gives us fuller detail of this. Jesus actually takes the time to say, this is how serious I take it. Here is the action I want you to follow. Listen to the steps. He says, first, go to them and tell them their fault. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Rejoice. But if he doesn't, get a witness. Confront him again. 
And if he won't listen to you yet again, if he still refuses, tell it to the church. Tell it to the leaders. If they still won't listen, they still refuse to hear, now you must treat them not as a brother, but as an unbeliever. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, about the mortar that holds this process together. Listen to what he says. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The truth of the matter is some like to rebuke. Some like to call out. But the spirit of doing it is in gentleness. The call is to keep watch of yourself, he says, lest you also be tempted. So do it in a spirit of gentleness, but do it. And if they repent, if they hear that rebuke, Jesus tells us we need to forgive. Notice the picture of God's grace. The picture of the gospel here. We're called to forgive because God forgives. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus explains those who are willing to, unwilling to forgive really haven't been forgiven themselves. In Matthew 6, verse 14, it says, For if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Listen to verse 15. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This isn't a works righteousness. This isn't a, is if I forgive, then I earn the forgiveness of the Father. No, it shows a matter of the heart. One who's willing to forgive is one who understands the gospel, one who understands themselves to be a sinner, one who understands their own need of Jesus. And yet, through all of this, note the length that we're supposed to go for those who truly repent. Seven times in a day, if he sins against you, you're to forgive him. In Matthew 18, verse 22, Jesus says, let me be explicit, 70 times seven. The idea is unlimited. And that's the caring of what it means to truly live out the command of Jesus here. So I ask you, do you believe God's word? Do you believe God's word has called us to actually confront sin? Do you believe God's word has called us to truly forgive? That's the point that Jesus is making. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples, his apostles to. And I want you to notice the disciples' response to this. Drop down to verse 5. The apostles, the disciples say to the Lord... Increase our faith. Increase our faith. That's the appropriate response. They recognize the weight of this, the the heaviness of this. This is impossible to live out on our own. Who wants to confront sin? No one. Who wants to forgive? No one. It's not easy to do either of those things. This is an impossible task left to ourselves. The disciples were well aware that this was beyond their own ability. They understood that that faith was necessary. And Jesus then responds in verse 6. He says, And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the smallberry tree, Be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. I've heard this passage preached a dozen times. And every time I've heard it preached, I've watched people take it out of context where they only select verse 6 to preach from. But notice this verse 6 is in 
in direct relationship with rebuking sin and forgiving. That faith and the ability to do what God has called us to do comes from faith. Notice the amount of faith that Jesus even says is required. A small, little amount. The size of a mustard seed. The smallest of all the seeds. It's not amount. It's not the amount of faith that enables you to do this. But hear me clearly, it's the object of your faith that enables you to do this. It is Jesus Christ who makes it possible. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. It is Jesus Christ's strength that empowers us to stand up for holiness. It is Jesus' strength that gives us the ability to forgive because he himself forgave us. The description Jesus gives of this task, this strong faith, is the moving of a mulberry tree. To us, we think, well, you just get out a shovel and move it. But the reality is, in their day, they understood the mulberry tree to be the greatest and strongest tree with the deepest roots, one that was hard to move. And Jesus, therefore, is saying to his disciples, your small amount of faith, as long as it's in me, will give you the ability to uproot this mulberry tree and plant it in the sea. Two impossible tasks for yourselves that will become possible in me. See, what Jesus is saying, he's saying what seems impossible to you is possible for God. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, it actually says, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Or how about that famous verse in Philippians 4, 13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is surely the right application of that. It's not about whatever I wish to do, but specifically the things Christ has commanded me to do, to rebuke sin and to forgive. Church, understand this. Our ability to obey these commands of Christ, our ability to resist temptation, our ability to forgive others, comes from Christ. It comes from Christ who is the object of our faith. For those of us who trust in Christ, His strength is sufficient. So I ask you, do you find that for you temptation or even forgiveness of another is beyond your own ability? Do you find that in times of temptation, it's beyond your ability to deny that temptation? Do you find it's beyond your ability to forgive a brother who confessed their sin? My challenge to you is to cry out to Jesus. And my challenge to you is to rely on the strength of Christ and not to rely on your own ability. Cling to Christ. Cling to his strength. Friends, we all need this reminder that Jesus gives his disciples for each and every one of us is living in a time of war and not peace. We're to battle against sin and therefore we must battle against temptation. The point Jesus is making to his disciples is that they were called to fight by faith. And so are we. 
We're to fight sin by faith. We're to fight temptation by faith. We're to fight by faith. And we're to forgive by faith. We do this by having faith in Christ and His Word. The question is, do we? Do we have faith in Christ and His Word? Church, I promise you that in Christ, all of your needs are met. Even the need to face sin and temptation. Even the need to forgive. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our close our Bibles, Lord, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts. That, Lord, those areas where we have left sin to fester and played with temptation, that we would put it to death, that we would flee it, that we would believe your word, that we would rely upon Christ and the strength he provides. And God, for those of us who maybe struggle to forgive, those of us who struggle to truly turn the other cheek, that you would give us the ability to truly trust you and the gospel that we would see in Christ the forgiveness we ourselves have received from the Father. That we were sinners. We, we were those who, who persecuted Christ, maybe not in the physical sense of being there, but by our sin we have. And so, Lord, may we take ownership of our need of the gospel. And as we recognize the forgiveness we have been given, may we give that same forgiveness to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.